Ethan. <laughs> I was going to say Alan, and I said, I know that's not right. I said Alan, Ethan, Dylan, Alan, Ethan, Dylan. All right, it was Ethan. We appreciate Ethan reading our scripture tonight. I also want to make mention we appreciate Brother Dave Johnson and his prayer. Thinking of Esther and the great opportunity that lay before her, that was before her. How about that? Tonight, we want to thank each one for being here. We appreciate so much those that are visiting. We appreciate uh, each member that makes it a point to be back as we study once again. And I trust that as we go throughout the lesson tonight, that we will have the opportunity to grow from the example of Esther. Esther, one of the great characters of the Bible. One of the great women of the Bible, and no doubt there is much we can learn from Esther. Now, if we start out, Esther, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Esther because we're going to spend some time there for sure. As we talk about Esther, a little background we're approximately 2,500 years ago, uh, the king here in the time of Esther is referred to as uh, Ahasuerus. It's believed to be Xerxes. If you go back through history and tie history and it together through translation, uh, we understand this to be King Xerxes. So that would be between 486 and 465 BC would be the timing of his reign. All right, as you start in the beginning of Esther... Ahasuerus was married to Vashti. Now, Vashti, as queen, chooses not to do what would have been belittling to her. She would have been looked down upon by the kingdom, although uh, King Ahasuerus had called her to go and come before all the people, uh, basically to show her off. Um, you might... You might understand why, why she chose not to do such. But because of this, Xerxes, or King Ahasuerus, removes her as queen. Now, understanding he's king, he believes, you know what? I'm going to ask those young fellas what I should do. That's not the first time that we've seen somebody ask the young guys, what do you think is the best advice for me? So he asks, what should I do? And in Esther chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, And let the king appoint officers in the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan, the citadel, into the women's, women's quarters, under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given them all right so he said let me search all of the kingdom over and he says bring in all the finest of young ladies and then from this he was going to uh, pick who would be king to i'm sorry who is going to be queen to replace the one who was removed so first off you might you might notice or you might understand that Esther was a very special woman, not only because she was called by God, but the king 
not caring about godly principles, sees this lady and he says, now she is something special. So she was chosen not only from all of the provinces, but each of the different areas. They bring in all the, the best, the, the top options for the king. And it just so happens that Esther will be the one who is chosen by the king. All right, I think back to some of our fairy tales. You know, we talk about Cinderella who was, oh, I think she was taken in by the fairy godmother or whatever it is. It was unlikely beginnings. When you look at Esther, Esther starts out as a orphan, okay? Mom and dad have both passed away. It's the the beginning of our life is like the, un, the most unlikely of possibilities. It's like, well, she won't ever turn out to anything. And although we see that, that some might have this thought process, I want you to recognize what God sees in Esther. A lot of times we might let life get us down because of the household we were born into. It might be that we let life get us down because it's not just the best of occasion. It seems as though the cards are stacked against us. When you look at Esther, you can look at Esther chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, and Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. All right, so his uncle... We're going to see his passed away. For she had neither father nor mother. His uncle and his uncle's wife had passed away. Esther, left without parents, was taken in by Mordecai. It says in verse 7, the young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. You know, as we look at the story of Esther... We read the scripture just a moment ago. Mordecai says, it could be. It could just be the case that you are here for a moment such as this. But I want to tell you about another person. Mordecai, it could be that such is the case that you were here for a time such as this. Mordecai, knowing that, that Esther had been left without parents, with mom and dad both having passed, chose to take her in. And God used the actions of Mordecai, and God used the actions of Esther, and through it, he preserves his people. All right. I'll let you look at verse 15 as well. Verse 15 of Esther chapter 2, it says, Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go in to the king, she requested nothing. But what Hagei, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. Now she sought out wisdom, and the wisdom comes from the king's eunuch, and we're going to see that ultimately Esther, Esther is going to be the one that, that pleases the king. No doubt, God chose to use Esther, and we'll see that as we go through 
go through the account tonight. Um, I mentioned before Esther chapter 2 verse 22 through 23. Uh, Ahasuerus m- removes the queen and... Well, let's just go over there real quick. He has removed the queen. Verse 22, it says, So there was a matter that became known to Mordecai. Mordecai finds out about these eunuchs that want to overthrow the king. So the matter, in verse 22, became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king, notice, in Mordecai's name. So she gives honor or recognition to Mordecai as being the one who had recognized there's people that are trying to overthrow you, Ahasuerus. And in verse 23, it's recorded. This is going to be very significant later in the story. Verse 23, it says, And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now, this isn't the Chronicles that we read. However, kind of like the word Chronicles, there are things that are referred to or books that are referred to as Chronicles today because it's the account. It's the action that took place And so this was the Chronicles of the King, and it was recorded there. All right, now let's get into Esther. We've got a little background on the story. Let's start with Esther. First off, Haman despises Mordecai. Haman is going to be put in charge by King Ahasuerus because he needs somebody to serve as a servant. It wasn't that long ago that we looked at Jeroboam who was put into a special position. Here in Esther, chapter 3 and verse 1, King Ahasuerus promotes Haman and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who are with him. So we have Mordecai come onto the scene, I mean, Haman come onto the scene right after Mordecai is recognized as being the person that's saving the king. Uh, You could say he was the snitch. He was the one that let the king know there was evil planned against him. Mordecai was not willing to bow to Haman. Now Haman wanted to take full advantage of his opportunity. He wanted to take full advantage of his superiority. He said, hey, look at me. And he expects everybody to bow down. Look at Esther chapter 3 and verse 2. It says, and the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him, but Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. He wasn't willing. This was a man who the king had already exalted. Now, I don't understand necessarily why why Haman didn't go ahead and go to the king immediately and say, this guy is bad. Maybe he would have felt as though he was less important. It could be possibly that if he went went ahead and taken care of it right now, that the story wouldn't have worked out the same way. But we see at the beginning, Haman bottles it all up. He just lets lets it hurt within him that, you know, Mordecai is not bowing down to me. How dare he? Could it be the case that Mordecai was just thinking, you know what? I ain't bowing to you and I'm not bowing to men because I'll tell you who's more important than men. That's the God of heaven. I think it's very likely Mordecai being a faithful servant of the Lord, a Jew, one of the chosen of God, it's very likely that because of that he said, I ain't bowing for him. 
Now it just so happens that Haman comes up with this great plan. You know, I'm so mad at Mordecai. Instead of attacking Mordecai, he says, let me get all those Jewish people. He said, I'll bring them all down. You look down at Esther chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman works on his grand plan. He seeks to destroy all the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. And so within his, within his hate for this disdain that's been shown to him, he comes up with this plan to get even for the disrespect that was shown to him. You get down to chapter, chapter 3, verse 10, and the king gives his stamp of approval. Notice verse 10 and 11, it says, So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadetha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. So Haman, who despises Mordecai, Mordecai who had raised Esther, Haman's about to get even. But you know, Haman's not the only deep thinker. He's not the only one that's behind the scenes that's working and trying to figure out how can I, how can I accomplish my desire here? And so that brings us to Esther. Esther devises her plan. Go to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4 and verse 11 it says, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man... Or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called. He has but one law, put all to death. Except the one to whom the king holds out the, gold, the golden scepter. That he may live. Now notice, notice what Esther says. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. She said, look, I don't have the opportunity to bend his ear like you think I do. You know, you talk about, you talk about the role, how one encourages another. And Esther says, look, you think I've got more power than I do. It's been 30 days since I've been in to talk, to influence. And so therefore, Esther needs a plan. Esther needs to appear before the king if there is hope for the people of God. The Jews were in trouble because of the, the plan that Haman had set in order, how they could all be destroyed. But Esther knows that in order for our people to have hope, for God's people to go on, there's something I've got to do. That brings me to our first pause. In order for God's people to have hope today, there is something that I've got to do. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16, he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. The reality is, if we are not teaching, who's helping the world? Nobody. Who did God give the job to? 
to help the world, to convert, to spread the good news. It was given to Christians. Esther took a time out and said, how can I accomplish the saving of my people? We need to take a time out sometimes and think, how can we accomplish the seeking and the saving of the lost? Luke chapter 19, verse 10. You know, as you look at Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, we see the proclaiming, the sharing of the gospel message. He says in verse 14, he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And listen, how shall they hear without a preacher? Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 is talking about me. But I want you to know when you read Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, he's talking about you. The preacher is literally a proclaimer. Every Christian is to be a proclaimer of the good news. The salvation of God's people depends upon it. In Esther chapter 4, the salvation of God's people depended on Esther. Today, God's people, people that are outside of the fold that need to be saved, that desire the saving message of the gospel, need you. And they need me. All right, Esther's plan. Go back to Esther chapter 4. Esther's got a plan. She's putting it together. What can I do for my people? We read in our scripture reading earlier, verse 14, and Morde verse 14, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. I want to tell you something about Mordecai. Mordecai had faith in God. He said, Yeah, the king might make this, might make this decree that all the Jews be killed and beaten and destroyed, massacred. But notice what he says in verse 14. He says, God is going to accomplish his will some other way. If it's not you, God's will will still be accomplished. And I want you to understand today, God's will will be accomplished. I think his, his will ultimately, you look to the New Testament or the new will, we, we see the New Testament and the design of it. But if you go through his will throughout time, it was so that mankind could be saved through his son. And now today we have the New Testament that we can read and study from. God's will for the coming of the Christ was going to be accomplished no matter the outcome. He knew what the promise was in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, how that there would be a death blow to Satan. He knew in Genesis chapter 12 that Abram was promised that out of his seed all nations of the earth should be blessed. 
And what he knew more than anything is no matter what happened right then, God's will would be accomplished. Not a question. Mordecai, faithful, faithful man. Notice he says, for if you remain completely silent at this time, he said, you have an option before you. He said, you can keep your mouth shut. You don't have to worry about God's people and don't you worry, God will still accomplish what he wants done. But notice the end of verse 14. He says, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, it seems small a lot of times. It could be that you were created for such a time as this. This morning we talked about giving. The poor, the needy, there's people that you run into. And you don't know. It could be that you were created for such an opportunity as the one that you took advantage of. But here he says, Esther, there's a, there's a dilemma before you. You can decide you don't have to do anything. He said, or you can decide to stand up for God. And he says, but either way, God's will will be done. Basically saying the church will be established. Christ will set up his kingdom. People will still be saved through the offering of God's son. Now he might not have understood it in its fullness, but he understood that God's will was going to come to be. In Esther chapter 4 and verse 14, he said, they say... Mordecai says to Esther, what about right now? Right now might be a perfect reason that you're here. God's will for the coming of the Christ was going to be accomplished. The opportunity to be, a, to be an asset for the Lord is before us currently. You know, in John chapter 4 and verse 35, Jesus looking out and said, say not there's... Four months before the harvest, he said, Behold, the fields are white unto harvest. When? Right now. Now that's convenient. I mean, Todd's been harvesting the last, last couple weeks. But maybe we would be better off reading this in the winter or as they were in the springtime under our, our understanding. The crop's just been planted. He says, don't say there's four months until the harvest. He said, the harvest time is right now. Within Christianity, the work is ever-present. We are to be seeking out souls that desire to be obedient to the gospel. All right. That's your New Testament comparison. That's our opportunity today. We have an opportunity to be an asset for God. And we need to seek opportunity. We need to pray for opportunity. If you go back to John chapter 4 and verse 35... Right after he tells them, he says, look, the fields are wide unto harvest. Notice what he says. He says, pray. John chapter 4 and verse 35, it says, Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields for they are already white for harvest. Skip down 
He says in verse 37, For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have not entered into their labors. The point is, let us be of the harvest. Let us be doing the Lord's will currently and continually. All right, go back to Esther. In Esther, they're in a dilemma. Because their lives are on the line, their lives are at stake, and it seems as though all is lost. And so Mordecai lays the request before, before Esther. It could be that for right now, it could be for this occasion, you were created. Notice in verse 16, Esther replies says, tell Mordecai this, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan. She said, you got a dog in this fight too because your life's on the line just like mine. She said, fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king which is against the law. And she said, reckon... Recognize this. She said, and if I perish, I perish. If it just so happens that I die trying to stand up for God's people, well then that's the end of the story. But what was the point that Mordecai had already pointed out? God will accomplish his plan, period. God's people would still somehow get through this so the Christ would come through the promised seed. All right. Esther chapter 4 and verse 16. If I perish, I perish. Even in the face of death, choose to put God first. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. The idea there is being faced with the fact that you're going to die. Be faithful even then when it's going to cost you your life. Today, you know, I don't think there are often times that, we're, that we are under the same struggle that they were. For the most part, we're able to worship freely. Honestly, we, we're left alone. Now, I do think it's getting worse, and I think it will continue to get worse as the world gets more corrupt. They're going to hate Christians more, and it's a fact of life. But even if it's going to cost you your life, what's the reality? Be faithful to God. It doesn't matter. Notice that there was prayer and fasting in the height of concern. Let not your hearts be troubled. You know, look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be worried. In the midst of the problem when the world is caving in, they stopped and they fasted and prayed. They gave their problems... To Jesus. There is no better way, there is no better avenue that we have when we are found in the height of concern, in heartache. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. He says, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Notice what he says next. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus even 
if it cost your life. Esther knew something about that even before it was written. She says, everybody pray and fast because I'm fixing to go before the king. All right, Esther devises her plan. Let's check it out. Esther goes before Ahasuerus. Esther, chapter 4. I've got to quit flipping away. Verse 16, she says, if I perish, I perish. Esther has been dressed up for fasting. If you look at fasting apparel, it wasn't pretty. All right? The king looked upon Esther as a young, pretty lady. And so you notice in chapter 5 and verse 1... It says, now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes. She cleaned up. Knowing that her life was on the line, she she wanted to make the grand appearance before the king. She stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. We already know to start with that King Ahasuerus was impressed by the look of this pretty young lady, Esther, otherwise he never would have chosen her. So she does herself up, she gets ready, she goes before the king because her life is on the line. Notice in verse 2, I'd say just a portion of God's care. It says in verse 2 that so it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, it says that she found favor in his sight. And you know, it doesn't really mean much to us, but I'll tell you what, this next line meant a lot to Esther. It says, so the king, or and the king, notice, I'll notice it if I find it. She found favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. All right, you know the law. If he doesn't hold up the scepter, what's the reality? You're done. Life is over. It is no more. It doesn't go on. No request will be made of the king. But the king holds out the the scepter. Within the plan, Esther, as she goes before the king doesn't just ask right off. You know, I think it's very interesting. She didn't go in and ask for something crazy. In fact, the king says to her in verse 3, he says, what's your request? It shall be given you up to half the kingdom, whatever you like. Go down into verse 8 and it says, if I have found favor in the sight of the king and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman Come to the banquet which I will prepare for them and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. I'll make my request tomorrow. I do think it's very interesting. She didn't, she didn't come out and just say it. She said, look, we can deal with this. She said, what I really want is I want you and I want Haman. I want you to sit down and eat with me. We're going to have us a special meal Special banquet. So possibly the providence of God, Esther chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. 
the king can't sleep. At night, king couldn't sleep. Wonder if it's because Esther had asked him to come over. Now the pressure's on him. It's like, hey, king, go impress your little lady. Go impress the queen. Either way, he couldn't sleep. Verse 1, it says the king couldn't sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the record of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found, written, that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now he remembers. It's fresh in his mind. Those jokers wanted to overthrow me. They wanted me killed, slain. They wanted to take over. And off to sleep goes the king. What a convenient time for him to read the story. He listened to the chronicles. Esther chapter 6 and verse 4, we see that Haman desires that Mordecai be hung. He's like, it's time. I got to get even. This dude, he, he just angers me. So in verse 3, the king says, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? King's servants said, nothing. Nothing's been done for him. Verse 4, the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just come in had just entered the outer of the court of the king's palace to suggest the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. So he's been storing this up, and now it's all bottled up, and he comes in. And so the king's servant said to him, Haman is standing there in the court, and the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him. All right, we start out. Haman comes in to request that Mordecai be hung, and Haman came in, and the king asked him, now Haman, what shall be done for a man whom the king delights to honor? Haman said to himself, ooh, it's me. He's fixing to, he's fixing to tell the world how special old Haman is. Second in command. I've been faithful to this guy as long as I've been serving. He recognizes everything I've done. I've told all these people how great I am. I make them bow down to me. They bow down to him. Man, the king's fixing to honor me. Haman answers the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn and a horse on which the king has ridden which has a royal crest placed on its head then let this robe and the horse be delivered to the hand of the one of the king's most noble princes that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor and then he says and parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor he says Oh, you just do him up right. King Ahasuerus, you take good care of that man and I'll be waiting. I'll be right over here. You just let me know when you're ready because I'm ready to ride the horse. Ready to put on that robe. You parade me around town because I'm excited. All right. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You ever been wronged? Let God handle it. In God's time, it will be accomplished. It will be taken care of. Now, it might not be like this one. It might not be what's fixing to happen to Haman, but 
We don't need to be the ones that get even. Let God get even. King Ahasuerus proclaims for Mordecai to be honored. You can go through Esther chapter 6 through, through verse 11 and it's Mordecai is the one. It's revealed. And can't you imagine the heartbreak that comes to, that comes to Haman? All right. Esther at the banquet in Esther chapter 7 verse 3 through 4. Esther requests the saving of her people. She makes the request. Notice there in Esther chapter 7 and verse 6. Esther said, the adversary and the enemy is the wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. I want to tell you one other thing that I recognize about this story. Esther brought the king and Haman. This is a face-to-face transaction. This is not a behind-the-back She said, King, this is the man. Think as you get to the New Testament, when we talk about problems, let's go person to person. Let's deal with our person, personal problems as individuals. We don't need to talk to somebody else. We don't need to talk to to anybody else, but rather one-on-one. And I think that's how God designed it as you go through the New Testament. We don't have time to look at it tonight. Well, notice that Haman is identified as the wicked person. Haman is hung in the gallows that he had prepared to hang Mordecai. Esther chapter 7 verse 10. But it's not over. Esther has to go before the king one more time because the decree has already been made. The signet, it's already been signed with his ring. It's already been sealed. And so Esther goes again before the king in Esther chapter 8. And she makes one more request. Esther chapter 8, beginning verse 3, it says, Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. Looky there. One more time. So Esther arose and stood before the king. She goes before the king. She's ready to make her her plea. You look down at verse 8, Esther and Mordecai are allowed to send out the new decree. He says, you yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. Because of this, the Jews are allowed to protect their lives In verse 11, it didn't change the ruling that had been made by Haman. But this granted the Jews the opportunity to protect themselves in verse 11. It says, by these letters, the king permitted the Jews who are in every city to gather together and protect their lives. Recognize? They were able to protect themselves. He said to destroy kill and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them. They had the right because the king had made the decree. He said, you can take care of yourself. Notice it's not just their life, he says. Both little children and women and to plunder their possessions. Whatever was taking place, he said, you have the right to protect yourself. And you go down through what takes place here. And you're going to see there's a lot of death. 
that transpires. The Jews were then allowed to continue on and no doubt, as you read Esther chapter 4, perhaps you were created for a time such as this. God used Esther to protect his people. As we think about Esther, there's a lot of great lessons that I believe you can learn. Now I want to leave you with Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And you say, wait, Stephen, Stephen was martyred. He was killed. He was stoned. Let me tell you this. All things work together for good for Stephen. And all things work together for good for Esther. And I promise you this one thing. If you will put God first, you might never be rich. You might not even be healthy. You might not live much longer. But if you'll put God first, I promise you, all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I ask you today, why not? You know, there's no better life. I'm not telling you that as a Christian you're going to have lots of wealth. I'm not telling you as a Christian you're going to have great health. I'm not telling you as a Christian that everything's honky-dory and that you have to walk around and say, I'm living the dream. But I am telling you this. There is no life. There is no life that has blessings that are out of this world other than the Christian life. I'm looking forward to eternity. And I pray you are too. If you haven't given your life to Christ, it's very simple. Understanding that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Being willing to turn from sin. Confessing His name. Being buried in the water and coming up to live for Him. Therein we see the gospel that was accomplished through Esther. God can use you today to save souls too. I encourage you. Pray that you have opportunity, that doors are opened so that you can help others come to know Christ. If you haven't given your life to Christ, do it now as we stand and sing.